begin part two of our series, Basics. And this series is basically uh, a reconnection to our core values. Core values are fundamentals. You know, like a great coach always is always constantly going back to the fundamentals of the game. And so we have to constantly, I can't just teach about our vision and core values one time and let it go. You've got to constantly be re- revisiting that just like a coach would do. Well, evidently, Jared Goff forgot the fundamentals of throwing a forward pass last Sunday night. What in the world? By the end of that game, y'all, I didn't care who won. I just wanted it to be over. Anybody else? My Lord! It was like a train wreck, and I couldn't even take my eyes off, but I wanted to, and I was like, I'm tired. This is what's going on. It's boring. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just getting my frustrations out about that. But it's the same for playing an instrument or selling cars or cooking a meal. It's also the same for our spiritual life and our church. See, I want you to know, as if you're a member of New Life, if you call New Life home, I want you to know this stuff. I want you to know our core values. I want you to know our vision. If somebody stops you on the street, it's like, what's your church all about? I don't want you to just be like, it's, it's pretty cool. Pastor's not horrible. It's, it's, the music's cool. I mean, I want you to be able to say, actually, you know what? Our vision is this, our, and our core values are these, and this is what we're about. This is, if this connects with you, you need to come and be a part. I want you to be able to understand that and communicate that. I told you last week, I like simple. I'm a simple guy. I like simple. Having 20 core values does us no good. I, I saw a few churches that had like 20 core values, and I'm like, how can you remember that? You can't. So I like simple. We have four. Worship. Look at the screen. Worship, word, walk, and witness. Say those with me. Worship, word, walk, and witness. Folks, these did not come from a best-selling book that I read. They didn't come from the internet, something neat that I read on the internet. These are things that God has been instilling in me for ministry for over, for, since I've been saved, I guess. But especially the last 25 years. Last week we talked about the first core value, worship. I have to admit, just like Tyler a second ago talking about being biased, <laughs> I have to admit worship is extremely important to me. It's foundational to me. I spent 20 years as a worship pastor. I know what they were going through this morning as candidates. I've done that many times and been at a church and, and been in front of people that I didn't know yet, but that, is this going to be the church? Is this going to be? It's, it's, it's uh, interesting to say the least, but worship is so important. How cool is it, though, that last week I preached about worship in the middle of this worship transition? I didn't, I'm not smart enough for that, y'all. That was God. I think God is in this. I think by doing that and this lining up the way it is, I'm, I have an assurance, come on, that God is in this thing. He's guiding us. He's leading us in that way. Now, I have to admit something to you. When I was a worship pastor, physically worshiping was a big part of my quiet time every day. That's what I did. I just worshipped every day. It was every day I would just get at the piano and worship and then read the word. As I've transitioned to senior pastor, I've noticed something. And I just, it just hit me this week. I, I spend more time in the word, which is good. But I've kind of let the worship go during my quiet time. And this week it hit me as, I'm, as I preached on worship. I'm like, you're not worshiping enough by yourself like you used to. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was... 
saying, I miss that with you. And so I sat down at the piano in my house all alone and I began to sing. And I couldn't even get past the first two lines. I began to weep. And the Holy Spirit met me there. I'm not telling you, I'm, I'm telling you it's actually happened. I'm not trying to get an emotional response from you. It was, I feel it in me. And I don't care if you can play or sing or you, you, you can't even play the radio. I mean, you need to figure out a way to include worship in your quiet time. And if you're not having a quiet time, my goodness, you've got to start. It's life-changing. You've got to get in the presence of the Lord every day. And he loves our worship. Whether we can sing or not, make a joyful noise. <laughs> Just make sure you're alone. Audience of one, right? So today we're going to cover our next two core values, word and walk. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence here this morning. Thank you so much for your word. And I pray, God, that you would make it alive and active and prophetic and powerful this morning as I speak it. Anoint me and get me out of the way and let your Holy Spirit take over. In Jesus' name, And everybody said. Amen. So yes, I'm covering our second and third core values, word and walk, and the majority of my time this morning is going to be on word. Word. Everybody say word. word. Now go word. I'm so I'm sorry. That was awful. I don't even know what that is. Okay. I have no idea. What is that? I don't even know. I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. I actually wrote in my notes, don't do it, Alan. That's what I put. Don't do it. But I had to do it. Sorry. I'll probably do it in the next service too. The Old Testament talks about the word of God being our plumb line. Anybody know what a plumb line is? A plumb line is used by builders and carpenters to make sure they stay straight. It might be this way. It might be this way. Block masons and brick masons use it to build a straight line when they're working or carpenters. When God said he was setting a plumb line among his people. He was declaring an end to their attempts to justify their crooked ways. Amen. The Lord was setting the standard. Let me listen. Everybody look here. God does not negotiate his word. God does not change it. He does not negotiate his word. He does not change his word with the whims of culture. God's word is the straight line against which we know right from wrong. Just as a carpenter's plumb line is not subject to his opinion or his frustration should he get off. God's moral standards, his word, is not subject to the opinions of mankind. We need to know that right now. We need to hold to that right now. Paul describes it this way to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture or all word is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. Everybody say true. true. And make, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The word of God. My first car was a 1977 Dodge Colt. Anybody, anybody picture that in your mind? A little bitty car, a little two-door car, four on the floor. It was the tiny engine. 
Well, in 1977, my dad bought it new. I was not old enough to drive at that point. I don't know how old you think I am, but dad drove it for years. And then he passed it to my sister, who was older than me, and she drove it in college, and then I got it the third time, okay? By the time I got it in the late 80s, it had developed some unique characteristics, (laughs) one of which was when you hit the brakes, it veered to the right. Hard. Well, it was my only choice for transportation, so guess what? I adapted. That's what we do, isn't it, as humans? We adapt. It's like weird stuff. We don't even think it's weird anymore. So when I hit the brakes, I had to turn left. It became an automatic thing to hit the brakes and turn left to keep myself going straight. Except one day when I was on 285, I have no idea what a 16-year-old has business doing on 285, but I was on it. I can't remember where I was going. Shouldn't have been on it anyway, but there was somebody bowed up and stopped in front of me, and I had to slam on my brakes. And before I could do anything, I was two and a half lanes over. It was a miracle of God there was nobody there on 285. Miracle of God that I wasn't in a car, a bad car accident. So again, the word of God is our plumb line. It's the correct lane of travel. But folks, just like I had, sometimes in life there are emergencies. Sometimes in life there are crisis moments. And metaphorically speaking, we have to slam on the brakes. And when we do, sometimes our faith is veered and veers way off course. But eventually, that crisis is going to leave. That crisis is going to lift. The smoke is going to clear. And we may find our faith way off course. But the Word of God never changes. And the word of God can lead us back to the correct lane, back to the correct path, because it never changes. Paul says it will correct us because it is always true. It is always true. You may know exactly what I'm talking about. Your life turned upside down in a moment. When the smoke clears, everything's turned upside down. You don't know which way is up. Folks, that's when you have to trust this. That's when you have to see this because this, the word of the living God, will get you back to where you need to be. Now, as I got older, I became a better, more experienced driver. And I did better in emergency situations, not to mention I got rid of that death trap of a car after that experience. Here's the deal. Likewise, as we begin to learn the word of God, as we begin to internalize the word of God, as we begin, most importantly, to apply the word of God, we are going to become better at navigating those crisis moments in our life without veering off too far. We will find that if we're obedient to the word of God, even in the most difficult seasons of life, we won't ever veer off too far from center. Just like driving a car or playing a sport or performing on an instrument. Look at the screen. If you practice the word of God, you're going to improve at life. Uh, I figured that would be a little louder than that, even at the 930 service. Come on, guys. If you practice, if you practice, not just listen to, not just read, not just come to church, 
If you practice the word of God, your life, you will get better at life. We will find that if we're obedient to the word of God, even in the most difficult seasons, we won't veer too far. Now, this core value also includes strong biblical preaching. In our modern culture where pastors are slowly but surely preaching less and less of the word and more of their opinion, it is so vital that we don't stray from the truth, the standard, the plumb line. Now, just because it's biblical doesn't mean it has to be boring. I know you've been in that service. I know that you've heard preachers preach the word of God straight up and down and it bores you to tears. It doesn't have to be that way. I think the presentation of the word of God needs to be relevant, practical, and creative. And I work very, very hard to do that. I I get there sometimes and sometimes I don't. (laughs) Come on, help me. No, No, pastor. No, every time it's just no. Here's the point. Look at the screen. The method will change, but the message never will. Come on. If I'm not trying to be creative and and to use illustrations and like crazy stories from my youth, like the car and things like that, if I'm not trying to be creative, then I'm not doing my job. The method changes over the years. The presentation changes, but the message of the gospel never changes. It's not a motivational speech. It's the gospel. It's our plumb line. Now, if you've been around here for a, a while, you know that I don't play. And the goal, the goal is not to entertain you or for you to, to laugh and crack up and have a good, although I love it when you do laugh at my stupid dad jokes, okay? It makes my day. I love that. I think we should laugh and have a good time, but that's not the goal. The goal is not to entertain you. The goal is not to tickle your ears. Look at the screen. The goal is to prompt movement in your life from one place in Christ to the next. That is my primary calling at New Life. That's my assignment, if you will. And there's a ton of other things on my plate. I have counseling appointments. I do hospital visitations. I'm doing budgets. Jesus, help me. I lead the staff. I lead, I cast vision. All of those things, and all of them are important. But preaching to you a fresh, life-giving message from the word of the living God is at the top of my list, period, period. And this story that we're going to read is the reason why it's so important and why I take it so seriously. If you have your Bibles, John 21. John 21, as always, as always, we have it on the screen Today, it's in the New Living Translation. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus, very shortly. This is after the resurrection, very shortly after. John 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, same person. (laughs) Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, for extra credit. Anybody know who they are? Sons of Thunder, sons, who is it? James and John. I wish I had a gift card to give you. I'm sorry, I don't. And two other disciples. I think that's seven in all that were there. Verse 3 says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. 
Isn't that like us guys? Let me preach to the guys just a minute. (laughs) Jesus has been crucified. He's already appeared to them one time. He said, I want you to go back home, go up north to Galilee. I'll meet you there. Things have not turned out. It's like the last three years are a blur. Things did not turn out as Peter and the other disciples were expecting. They were really thinking Jesus was going to lead a revolution and overthrow Rome. He kept talking about a kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And they kept thinking this thing is going to be on earth right now, and we're going to be his right-hand men. We're we're going to be the top of, we're going to rule with him. And that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. And now, Jesus says, go to Galilee, and so far he's been a no-show. They're waiting on him. And so finally, Peter, and only, you know, the way Peter talks and his, his, his profoundness says, I, I'm going fishing. Isn't that what we do? Not necessarily going fishing. But isn't that the way, you know, when things don't work out like we think they should. I mean, how many of you have had an experience on Sunday? I mean, you met with Jesus. I mean, you had an encounter maybe in the altar. I mean, you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're ready to charge hell with a water pistol at the end of the service. You're like, come on, bring it on. I'm changing the world for Jesus. And then Monday. And you're like, did I even, do I even know Jesus? Was that real? Was that even meaningful? Well, doubt had begun to creep in to their hearts and their minds. Was that really Jesus that we saw? Was that somebody that looked like him that was trying to trick us? Come on, that's what we do. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. He wasn't going fishing for recreation. That wasn't recreation. That's what we do for, I don't personally, but that's maybe what you do for recreation. He was going back to work. Come on, when things don't work out like we think, like God thinks, we just kind of default to what we know. And, you know, that's not necessarily the worst thing to do. It's a lot better than jumping out ahead of God and doing something without him and without his direction before he speaks. So verse 3, Simon says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. If you know the Bible, this starts to sound really familiar. All at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. It was still dark. They couldn't tell who the guy was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No. Verse 6. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. This is the exact reenactment of Luke chapter 5, when they were first called three years prior. This is the exact same thing. Listen to me. Jesus took them back in order to lead them forward. If you're, how many managers and bosses or anybody in the house, raise your hand. You are over people. You need to, I'm going to say this again, you need to perk up and listen to this. This is a great leadership principle. Jesus took them back in order to lead them forward. He reminded them of their story. He reminded them of the miracle. He reminded them of the move of God that they had already experienced. He did this so that he could bolster their faith for the future. And he does the same with us. But here's the the tie-in with today's message. Look at the screen. When we obey the word of God, the word of the Lord, we will be blessed. 
We will be blessed, even when the direction makes no sense, y'all. It makes no sense sometimes what the Lord asks us to do. These guys were out fishing. They had their nets on one side of the boat, weren't catching anything, and he says, throw it on the other side. Folks, that's just 10 feet. It's the same water. But they did it anyway, and they were blessed. And folks, let's talk about that word just a minute. I'm not talking about hashtag blessed. I'm not talking about, I got a new boyfriend, new girlfriend, hashtag blessed. I'm not talking about, I got a new car, hashtag blessed. I got the biggest house in the subdivision, hashtag blessed. I'm not talking about American blessed. I'm not talking about first world blessed. When we do that, when we relegate our blessing down to materialistic things, we have alienated 98% of the rest of the world. What about the guy in Haiti with a dirt floor and a thatch roof? That means he's never going to be blessed. He's never even going to drive a car. Does that mean he can't be blessed? When I say blessed because you obey the word of God, I'm talking about kingdom blessing. I'm talking about kingdom success. I'm talking about eternal blessing that will last forever. Now remember, this is Jesus, is the word. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God, and he's calling out to them from the shore as the living, breathing word of God. And so when they obey him, they experience miracles. And when we obey the word of the living God, we can also experience the supernatural blessing and miracles of God. Somebody give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 7. I love this. Then the disciple that Jesus loved. Guess who was writing this? Learn something about John just right there, okay? That's who he's talking to. He's talking about himself. Jesus loves me more, just saying. <laughs> How many know it's so cool with God that we can be his favorite? <laughs> anyway, that's not the message. That's just cool. The disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work. Really don't want to think about that. Jumped into the water and headed for shore. It's classic Peter. He doesn't even wait for the boat to get to the shore. He jumps out like a Labrador retriever. <laughs> Swims up to Jesus. And he's like, <sighs> like dripping. And Jesus is like, oh, my gosh, this is so, so Peter. That's just who he was. He was the guy who, who jumped out and slashed the slave's ear off. He was the guy that when Jesus got to him to wash his feet, he's like, you're not washing my feet. And then Jesus said, I have to or you won't be clean. He said, oh, then wash my whole body. And then at the very end, he's like, I'm going to die for you. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. <laughs> not yet anyway. That's Peter. I'm, and so he jumps out of the boat. The others stayed with the boat. <laughs> the others stayed with the yeah. Pulled the, the, the loaded the net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Come on now. Jesus was the original master chef. Not Gordon Ramsay. No master chef in the house? No? Okay, I'll just move on. It's a good show. Verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish. I love that, 153. It's like very specific. 
<laughs> and yet the net hadn't torn. Verse 12. Now come and have some breakfast. I love that. There's our theological proof right there that when we get together as Christians, we're supposed to eat. Amen. Hallelujah! I know that's thin theologically, but I'm holding to it because I like to eat. Praise the Lord. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. Jesus, the resurrected Lord of glory, served them, fed them. He fed them, and in doing so, he was showing in the physical. Listen, listen. He was showing in the physical what he was about to tell Peter to do in the spiritual. This was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He kind of pulled Peter to the side, had a conversation. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Um, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt by this time. He said, Lord, you know everything. Listen to me. Every time Jesus asked him that question, he was reliving that horrible night where he failed his master. And he denied him three times. And Jesus asked him three times. You know everything, Lord. You know that I failed you, but I know down deep you know that I do love you. I'm so thankful for this story, y'all, because I have certainly failed the Lord, and I do on a regular basis, anybody? But I certainly love him, and I'm so thankful for his grace and his mercy. You know that I love you, Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, in this moment, there's a ton happening, and I can't unpack all of it, but just quickly, three things. Jesus was forgiving Peter for his failure, and this morning, there is forgiveness available for your failure. Number two, Jesus was reinstating Peter as an apostle, as a leader, and going to send him out to change the world. I want to tell you, restoration is available this morning. You may have messed up been a Christian, messed up, had one time been in ministry or or volunteering, leading the charge, and something happened, something disqualified you for a while. This is for somebody. God is wanting to restore you. God is wanting to give you back those things if you're willing to submit to him. God is in the restoration, reinstating business. And then finally, Jesus was giving him instructions about being the first pastor of the New Testament, the New Covenant Church. And the message that he gave him was loud and clear. Feed my people. Feed my people. Give them the word, Peter. Don't give them your opinion. Give them the word. Teach the people about me. Teach the people about my character. Teach the people about what I taught you. Teach the people about what I showed you. Teach the people about the kingdom of God. Again, this is my primary role here at New Life Church. John 21 is my job description. 
as a pastor. This is where I spend the majority of time. This is where I protect my time that I can get this ready. Getting ready to bring you a fresh meal from the word of God is my top priority. Number one, because you're amazing people who are a gift from God to this church. You are his sheep, and you deserve that. You deserve a pastor who will do that and put that as the top priority. There's other things. I told you there's many other things. But if I have to drop something, if something has to get cheated on in order, I will do it every single time to make sure I'm prepared mentally, spiritually, emotionally. I wish I was physically, not always, but spiritually to bring you a meal every single time I get in this pulpit. That is my commitment to you because it's that important. I appreciate, I appreciate the applause. That's not what I was going for. I'm just telling you it's that important. John 21. In closing, our third core value is walk. Walk. Now, you know, worship word, walk. We did an entire series in January called Prove It. If you missed that, go back and watch it because I'm not going to take much time with this value because the whole series was about walk. The whole series was about this. But look at the screen. Walk is all about discipleship and spiritual formation. Discipleship and spiritual formation. That is a core value of this church. You growing in the Lord. You connecting to your purpose. Um, This core value emphasizes continued movement. We've talked about this. You can't get stuck. You can't get comfortable where you are. You've got to constantly be striving to grow in him and move closer to him and be used by him. Look at the screen. The word gets us moving, but the walk keeps us moving. The word gets us moving, but the walk keeps us. Let's say that together out loud. The word gets us moving, but the walk keeps us moving. Now, this is all about discovering and using your spiritual gifts. Discovering and using. Say that. Discovering and using. It does you very little good to just discover it and not use it. And you're using it for what? For yourself? No, for the kingdom, for the body of Christ. There's no way you can get discipled effectively on Sunday morning alone. It will not happen. It's wonderful, but it's not going to be enough for you. That's why we launched New Life Discipleship this past Wednesday night with over 70 people. So excited about that. Come on, give God praise for that. It's the year of discipleship because it takes intentional application all week long, not just Sundays, all week long to develop spiritual disciplines in our life like prayer, Bible study, serving, personal evangelism where we share the gospel with people, mentoring people, giving of our time, talent, and resources. I'm going to read you one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I don't want you to panic because I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to read it. Okay? But our core value is based on Ephesians 4, verse 11. This is a snapshot of how the church is supposed to work. Paul says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Positional gifts. Leadership gifts. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. All five. Say all five. They need to all be at operation in the church. Their responsibility is to equip. 
Their responsibility is not to placate, entertain, change diapers, unless you're in the nursery. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. Somebody shout mature. My Lord, that we would mature. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Are we there yet? We've not arrived. But here comes the tie-in to walk. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Remember the plumb line? Come on, there's some really crafty, great speakers out there that that will tickle your ears and it sounds so good and it's just a little bit off, but that's all the devil needs to ruin your life. I could preach there some more, but I don't have time. Instead, we will speak the truth truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part, say each part, does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body, listen to this, is healthy, growing, and full of love. Does that sound like a church that you would want to attend? Come on, somebody. I need you to hear me. I want every eye on on me right now. As your pastor, my goal, my focus is not to grow a mega church. My focus is to grow a healthy church. Come on. It's not just about numbers. It's not just about media. It's not just about all of the things. It's about people. And the foundation of that philosophy, that inside-out philosophy, is that each of us would learn and do our part. In the body of Christ. We need to connect to our purpose. We need to serve with joy and gladness and passion in the kingdom of God. And when you're doing that, you're going to be more satisfied with your faith than you've ever been. Now, I've been trying to preach Ephesians 4. If you've been around, you know I've been trying to preach that for a long time. That didn't count. I read it. That's all I did. That was just a, I'm, I'm going to bring it back. So I'm just telling you, I'm just warning you that wasn't it. Here's the bottom line. I'm done. Listen, without the walk, core value, we're going to be weak. We're going to be anemic, sick as a local church. Why? Because we're going to be full of people who are immature, full of people who are focused on division instead of unity, full of people who are focused on the wrong things, the wrong mission. I won't get a show of hands to see who's attended that church. We're not going to be that church. We're going to be a New Testament church doing our very best to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ and the vision that he's given. Everybody smile. Y'all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace. I sense your presence here this morning. I thank you for your word. God, I pray you've challenged our hearts today because of your word.